This is Chad Harrison, and you're listening to Hope Alive, applying God's word to your daily life. Hi, this is Chad Harrison, and I am the teaching pastor of Lake Community Church and have been serving as a pastor for 25 years. I'm also a practicing attorney. This podcast is designed to help you study God's word and find God's will for your life. I pray in the name of Jesus right now that God would open up his word to you and allow you to see him and to know him and to know his will, that you might glorify him and that you might walk in faith and power each and every day, especially today in Jesus name. Good morning. Welcome to Lake Community Church's morning Bible study. We're in Genesis chapter 34 this morning, Genesis chapter 34. Genesis chapter 34 is a difficult passage. It's one of the most difficult passages in the book of Genesis. Difficult not because of some miracle or something like that, that uh, people fight and argue over. It's difficult because the incident that happens, in fact, uh, in my New King James Version, it calls it the Dinah incident. But the truth is, it is a, it's an incident or it's something that happened that revolved around something bad happened to Dinah. And so when we're studying this, it's, it may be bad in that she was a part of it, or it may be bad in that she, in that she was mis- misused or mistreated. But when we're studying it, it ends up that two of her brothers who were, who are two of the sons of Jacob end up doing something that cost their family and their tribe or their descendants greatly over the years. And I think it's very important that when we're studying it, that we look at it because we can gain insights. And there are just things in life that we need to see and to allow God to reveal to us nuances of who he is and what he's doing from his word. And we may not have a full understanding of it for a long time, or we may not have a full and complete understanding of it ever but we may we may be able to use it to think about things it may contextualize some of the things in scripture that we that we don't understand and give us insights even though in in the case of this it is just a it's just a struggle verse 34 let's just lay the context because i think the first four verses for a week uh, will lay them out and allow us to understand what was happening and i'm going to have to go into it a little bit of a detail because there's a lot of there's a lot of thoughts that are on this, and you go, who's commentating? Who's telling you what he thinks or that they think about this? The truth is, I'm not going to draw from any modern commentators. I'm going to actually draw from the rabbinical class who who wrote about this far even before Jesus, and and we're talking about the words and how they were used, and you use that group of people, and you go, why would you go to the rabbis after Jesus who taught? First of all, Jesus was a rabbi. And second of all, I, I, in my own life, have someone that I really respect, I enjoy listening to. I like his perspective on things because I think he has a Judeo-Christian perspective on politics and world events and history, and his name is Ben Shapiro. And I really enjoy him when he starts talking about an Old Testament story, and he gives his biblical perspective on it, especially when he's talking about the rabbinical teaching that takes place on it. And the reason I do this, and I'm just giving you this as food for thought, the reason I love it is because oftentimes his perspective on the Old Testament and an Old Testament story 
is very unique in a way I've not heard it before. And sometimes he gives me insights that I, I didn't see in the Old Testament because I don't have that background. I don't have that Jewish rabbinical background to know how how the commentators throughout history, and especially some of these are 3,400 years old. Some of these stories are 34, 3,500 years old. How they've been viewed throughout history and viewed from, I guess the best way for you to describe it is from a cultural perspective that I don't have. And I like to study them and to read them and to see what they have to say about it, because especially in the Old Testament, they had an idea about language and they had an idea about culture and they had an idea about how life was lived. And and they have a view of God that I really don't have. And sometimes that helps me have a more complete view of God, because remember, God is, he is much to take in. He is, he is wonderful. He is as beautiful on every side as possible. And how, how we will ever know all that there is to know about God amazes me, but I know we will. I know we will when we're perfect before him, but I can't even imagine it now. It says, now Dinah, the daughter of Leah. So this is one of the uh, this is one of the daughters of Jacob. And notice, she's not called the daughter of Jacob. She's called the daughter of Leah. And the reason she's called the daughter of Leah is because her two brothers, who are also the sons of Leah, are going to they're going to do something they shouldn't do. They're going to maybe that they shouldn't do it. They should. Maybe it's not that they shouldn't have done it. Maybe it's that they shouldn't have done what the way they did it. Or maybe they should have handled it a different way. And I think probably they should have. It says, now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, who she born to Jacob, went out to see the daughters of the land. Now, this phrase is a very weird phrase in the Hebrew, and that's where I really get a great perspective from the from the rabbinical writers, because I would just naturally go over it. They, she went out to see the daughters of the land. What does that mean? That doesn't mean that she went out to hang out with her friends. That's not what that means. The land, the daughters of the land would have been the Canaanite women. And what she was doing was she was going and she was beginning to act like and be like the Canaanite women. All right. And she was hanging out with the Canaanites and with the Canaanite women of her area in the area that she lived in. And she was becoming or taking on their culture. Now, that's an important principle that's, that needs to be understand. If you begin to be like the world, don't be shocked if the world gets all over you. And let me say this, that can happen for a, a young person. That can happen for anyone at any age. You can chase after God and then slip into worldly practices and begin to hang out with worldly people and begin to be like the world that you live in and slip into issues and cause problems for your life. It doesn't matter who you are, and it doesn't matter where you are, and it doesn't matter how old you are, and it doesn't matter how long you've been walking with God, and it doesn't really matter how, what your position is in the church. Let me say this. It can happen from a new believer all the way down, all the way up to pastors and teachers and leaders and elders and ministry ministry leaders in a church. It can happen to anyone. The Bible says quite clearly that bad company corrupts, corrupts good character. Now, does that mean we need to separate ourselves from the world? No. But what that means is we can't become intimate and become very close with worldly people. We can love them. We can have a relationship with them. We can reach out to them. We can be light and salt to them. We can consistently and regularly show them that we care and have concern for them, but we cannot allow them to be our close personal friends. Because when you allow 
people who are not born again to be your close personal friends, they more than likely will cause you to slip back into your worldly ways because your flesh naturally wants to tend toward that anyway. And so that's exactly what she was doing. She was going out and she was hanging out with the daughters of the land. Now, note in, in some of the older translations of the Bible, especially in the King James Version, if you look that up, some of the prior versions, I know you say the King James Version is a version of itself. Actually, there's been 27, maybe even 28 updates or retranslations of that in the King James. So many, if you hear somebody say to you, I read the King James, I want to read the original Bible. They're actually not reading the original Bible. They're reading the 28th version of the original Bible. If you read the original King James, well, you couldn't read it because it would just be like the Gutenberg Bible or one of the other original translations of the Bible from uh, from a couple of centuries ago. And it's written in an archaic English that you do not understand and you really couldn't read. And when we're reading the Bible, what we're reading is we're reading someone translating the Bible from the Greek and the Hebrew to our modern language. And sometimes that's done really well and sometimes that's done really poorly. Always the Bible that I grew up with was the NIV, the New New International Version of the Bible. I always call it the Nearly Inspired Version of the Bible because it's not necessarily the greatest translation. It's just the one I grew up having a version of and reading myself. I love the New King James. There's a lot more. The The NEV, the NSV, the they're, they're, they always seem to have three letters, though. When they all, the last one usually is a V, meaning version. But the translation is, you're just reading the, the translation in the old Greek or Hebrew. And so when it says, and he went to, he went to, and when Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, now notice, she's hanging out with the daughters of the land, meaning she's hanging out with the Canaanite women, and a Hivite man, a young man named Shechem, who is a Hivite, saw her, and he wants her. He wants her in whatever way that means. And uh, Hivite is a tribe of the Canaanites, and so he is he's from the land. He's from the group of people that God had told them not to intermarry. In fact, that's the whole reason he sent Jacob back to his father's homeland, so that he could get wife a wife from there that was not of the Canaanite women. That's the whole reason for that happening, that Esau married two Canaanite women, and it did not work well for him. And so this son of Hamor, the Hivite, his name was Shechem. He was a prince of the country, meaning that he was someone that was important in his tribe. He He was a person of influence. He saw her, he took her, he lay with her, and he violated her. Now, This is important because what I was saying about the translations that are older, usually the heading of it is the rape of Dinah. And the reason that has changed is because this may not necessarily mean that. And the reason it doesn't necessarily mean that and the reason it'd be out of place to say that she was raped is because, first of all, the Hebrew language does not have a word for rape, okay? There's not an actual word for someone be, being ha- having sexual contact with somebody by force. And the Hebrew language just doesn't have that word. Now, there is the idea of that in the Hebrew, Hebrew language. In fact, one of, one of David's sons raped his half-sister. And the way we know he did is because it says something very similar to this. But it says he, but he said it says he overpowered her, or he. What it basically says 
is that he took her against her will. And that causes problems. It causes huge, huge problems in David's family. In fact, it's the beginning of the whole issue that David has with his son Absalom. And it becomes a major, a major sword or a major knife in the family of David. That whole turn of events. And eventually, hopefully, we'll get somewhere near that. And I'll be able to teach that. Probably be old when I teach it. But we'll, maybe we'll get to that story. But the important thing here is I want you to know that he saw her which is he had a natural physical attraction to her. And that is, that's always the first step in any relationship. I, and I hate it, but we want to love people for their mind. But the truth is that the first attraction for the human, the human heart is always a physical attraction because we operate in the physical. And so we don't most of the time look for someone who is character-wise someone we ought to have. We always look for someone that we think is, in the modern-day language, hot. And I know it's, it's, it's weird for the old preacher to be saying hot, but we look for someone who's hot. That's what we're looking for. And he saw Dinah, and he thought she was hot. And notice, he took her. Now, that does not mean that he took her by force. That just means that he, he took her. He grabbed her up. He, they had a physical encounter. And he lay with her mean, meant that he had a sexual relations with her. Now, and you say, well, he violated her, so that means that he must have raped her. And that's not what that word means. What that word means, it can mean a couple of things. And in fact, the Hebrew, the Hebrew scholars or the Hebrew rabbis throughout the centuries, actually throughout the millennia, because this story's, this story's well over 3,000 years old, uh, they understand violate to, to either mean in a moral sense that she had relationship with him, and so she was violated because she was not having relationships with her husband. She was having she was having sex outside of marriage, which in their culture and in in most cultures is forbidden, and or was forbidden. Things have changed, haven't they? And so the, when he lay with her, he had sex with her outside of marriage. Uh, in the Bible, in the New Testament, and the Old Testament, that's the idea of fornication. And that would that could have been him violating her. He also could have had an unnatural sex with her. And I know this is Bible study in the morning, but ultimately um, that word can mean that also. And that was for the purpose of her not getting pregnant, but so that they could have relations and not have a pregnancy. And, and But ultimately, no matter what it was, she was violated in that she no longer could could have a husband and him be the only one that had been with her. And so it was a violation of their law. It was a violation of how they did things. And normally someone would want a wife and they would go and make a deal with the father and then they would get married. But this is not what happened here. And so that's the issue. That's the problem that happens here. And notice it's not like he didn't care about her. He did. It says his soul was strongly attracted to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob. So <clears throat> this young man named Shechem, they had an encounter. And boy, once they had that encounter, he had the hots for it. He was hot after her. And not only that, he loved the young woman and spoke kindly to the young woman. So notice, not only did they have this encounter, sexual encounter, but they continued to have a relationship and he was very sweet and nice to her. That's exactly what that's saying. Now, he did violate her in that uh, she no longer was a virgin, and they, there was an issue here. Now, normally what would happen is you would marry someone who did that. When that happened, they would get married. In very 
quite the same terms as Mary and Joseph. If Joseph found Mary to be with child, he would have either sent her away or he would have married her. And sending her away could either be sent her away literally or it could have been sent her away metaphorically and that having her stoned to death. But he would either send her away or he would have married her. And in this situation, the truth is that he, he wants her. He wants to marry her. But there's a problem. God's told Jacob not to intermarry with the Canaanites. And that includes his daughters too. That doesn't just include his sons. That includes his daughters also. And even though this young man is a prince, even though this young man is someone of importance, even though this young man has a strong attraction to the to to Dinah, and quite clearly they have he spoke sweet to her, so she must have been speaking sweet back to him. She, he loved that young woman, and he spoke kindly to the young woman. And so there's a, obviously there's a deep abiding attraction between the two. And and it says so Shechem spoke to his father Hamor saying get me this young woman as a wife. And boy, that's exactly what's going on. They want to intermarry and they want to form a, a join families together. Now in history, historically, and, and you go, we live in different times, not a lot different times. We just live in newer times because of the advent of airplanes and the advent of being able to travel across the country easily because we have interstates from Eisenhower administration who began to build interstates so we could move armies to the coast quickly. That's the whole point of the interstate system. I don't know if you know that or not, but that's the point of it so that we could move our military to the coast quickly so that we could deal with situations such as that happened in World War II better than we were at the time that World War II took place. And so now we can travel all across the country. We can go places and do things that we couldn't do 40 and 50 years ago. Uh, you can hop on a plane and you can be thousands of miles away just within a few hours and uh, you can meet people and see things and you can go and work in places that are far away and still have relationships with your family because you can FaceTime and you can text and you can talk on the phone each and every day and it'd be as if they were just right next to you. Whereas when me and my wife were dating and I was off at Princeton and she was she was here in Montgomery, here in the in central Alabama area, she was going to Auburn University, Montgomery. We would just talk for a few minutes on the phone at night because it's very expensive and we didn't have cell phones. And so our conversations could only be five to 10 minutes. And that cost a lot of money during the week for us to be able to do that. We couldn't text and we couldn't talk. And so there was really large distance between us. And so that caused that relationship to be relationship to have to, you'd have to, we had to work at it. And then in many ways it strengthened our relationship. Nowadays, people live all over the place and and because they live all over the place, they begin to assimilate into the cultures that they're in. And rather than chasing after God, oftentimes young people begin to chase after the culture that they're in and they lose what they're walking in as a young person. And the Bible says they'll find it again, but it may take a while. And oftentimes it causes a lot of issues and a lot of problems. And um, the reason is because we're not to be unevenly yoked. Believers are not to be married to unbelievers. And the reason is because one has a spirit and the other doesn't. One has an eternal life and the other doesn't. One has a perspective on life and is going to have a draw or, a, or the spirit of God is going to pull them in a direction that the other person is never going to be pulled in unless they're born again. Now, you can try to missionary date all you want to. 
and go out there and find somebody you really like and then try to make them a Christian. But you can't make a person a Christian. Only God does that. You can't do that. And your missionary dating is going to be fruitless. You've got to find someone who is a believer, someone who is strong. And if you're a female, I would find someone who I believe to be more mature in their faith than you are. Why? Because um, you're likely to grow a whole lot with them, but you've got to find somebody who is a character and nature to grow on their own because men, generally speaking, aren't forced to grow spiritually by their wives. That being said, a wife will naturally follow her husband spiritually if he's a spiritual leader. I would say to you, always look for someone who is spiritually ahead of you if you're a female. If you're a male, you need to look for someone who is a believer. And it would always be a natural plus for her to be a very strong believer because she will be a great helper to you. And let me tell you something, men need help. And marriage helps men a whole lot more than it does women. And I'm going to say that because it's biblical. Marriage helps men a whole lot more than women. Women fulfill and they really round off men in marriage. They cause men to actually have a perspective on life that is full and good. And when we're looking for someone to marry, and I know we're talking about this awful situation that is developed here, but I think it's important that we deal with it. When we're looking for someone to marry, we need to look for someone who is a believer. We need to look for someone that we're attracted to. He saw her and he was attracted to her. We need to look for someone we're attracted to. And then we need to look for, we need to look for someone who is going to make our walk with God better. And if we do that, God's faithful and true. He'll find us. He'll lead us right to the right person, not tomorrow at the right time. And you will have his very best. And although we're going to deal with this and it's going to go really wrong after this, because Dinah's brothers think they have a duty to fix the problem and they're going to go cause problems for themselves and they're going to cause problems for their father and they're going to go cause problems for those who come after them because they're going to act rashly and they're going to they're going to really mess up things and in many ways do horrible things that they shouldn't do all because of their rage and their passion of you as you go today i pray that the lord will bless you and keep you that he'll make his face to shine upon you and that he will give you hope and peace today in jesus name